saved. Hebrews chapter 9, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And excited about the Bible study tonight. We'll look at the first several verses here in our introduction, and then we'll, um, we'll be down through verse number 13. Lord willing, we'll get all the way through it this evening. The Bible says in verse 1, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service in a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein uh, was the candlestick and the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein uh, was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant, And over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak uh, particularly. Now when these things uh, were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, which at the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not, that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscious, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and cardinal ordinances imposed on them under the time of reformation. But Christ, look at verse 11. Verse 11 is the pivot verse. But Christ, being come, uh, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to stay not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place. Having obtained eternal redemption for us, for the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We're going to look at tonight, Jesus is better than the tabernacle. Jesus is better than the tabernacle. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to understand uh, some things that when we read through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Lord, may we may at times scratch our head and say, I don't quite understand what all that means. Help us, Lord, tonight to have our eyes open to some of that. For other folks here, they already know it. It will be a refresher for them. Uh, But, Lord, may we be encouraged to know that you have a plan. That plan was foreshadowed in the Old Testament and carried out in the New Testament. And, Lord, that you love us. And, Lord, we pray that you'd uh, help us to just appreciate you that much more when we walk out uh, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. How important to you is the place of worship, your place of worship? Uh, To the Israelites, it was quite important. For them, at first, it was a tabernacle. And just to be clear, the tabernacle was nothing more than a, a bunch of... Um, a bunch of curtains that were hung together to make an outer courtyard, and then a bunch of curtains that were uh, made a tent. Uh, And so materially, that's really all it was, along with some furniture. What made the tabernacle so special was not the curtains and was not all the furniture in there. While they're neat to study and they're neat to understand, what made the tabernacle special was that God dwelt there. He dwelt there. 
Now, I want you to understand something this evening that that would change. The tabernacle would be used for a while, and then they would settle into their promised land, and they would build Solomon's temple. And then God would, reluctantly, by the way, but God would indwell the temple in the midst of his people. And then that temple would be destroyed, and a second temple would be built. And we read about that in the book of Ezra, how the second temple was built. And so the place of worship was of great importance. In fact, while the book of Hebrews is being written, the second temple still stood. And the second temple still had, uh, erroneously, still had sacrifices being offered in it. The temple was a place of great value and importance. It was a, it was a marker of identity to any and all Hebrews, even those that were saved. Where did, where did uh, uh, Peter and um, John preach oftentimes? Solomon's porch at the temple. At the temple. They went, still went to the temple uh, to preach. And so that building carried, temple carried great significance, and they greatly revered the tabernacle from the Old Testament, almost to a place where they worshipped the curtains and they worshipped the furniture, and uh, they worshipped the building more than they did the God that indwelled the building. In fact, the tabernacle and the temple were meant to be nothing more than a type of Christ. Well, now at this point when Hebrews is being written, Christ has already come. And so there is really no further use of the ceremony that takes place in the temple. In fact, the temple has changed. The temple has changed from being a building to being the people that make up the body of Christ. And by the way, that still applies today. The temple of God stands today. It stands in each of us. I'm very leery of calling this building a, a, a sanctuary. I'm very leery of that. And while I think we need to be reverent of the furniture that we have, and I think we need to be reverent of the building that we own, please understand that the temple is you. And the temple is me. And what makes this place special is not the building. It's the people that gather in the building and God that indwells the people that are in the building. That is the church. And uh, the building, this piece of property, is nothing more than something that us as a church body stewards. We steward this property. But it is, there's nothing holy about this property. What's holy is that God lives inside of us, and we're to keep our temples cleaned up. First uh, Corinthians 6 would be a good passage for you to study, to understand that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost that lives in you. Uh, so here Jesus is taking on different uh, holy cows or holy grails of the Judaism faith. And we've looked at many of the people. And now we're beginning to look at ideas and objects. And so we looked last week how that Jesus' covenant for the Israelites was better than Moses' covenant. And now he turns from the covenant, he turns to the tabernacle. And he's going to address the tabernacle. So if you have your... Uh, prayer bulletin there on the back. You can fill out the outline as we go along. Be a great study tool for you later. Let's jump in here and notice number one, the structure of the tabernacle, the structure of the tabernacle. Now the uh, author is going to, uh, of Hebrews here is going to lay out 
uh, with very little uh, ex- exposition or explanation, he's going to sort of lay out uh, what the tabernacle looked like, especially that, uh, that we're not going to focus as much on the outer court, okay? We're going to focus on the tent where the holy place and the holy of holies was, because that's what the author focuses here, here in on. Look at verse number one. It says there, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Let me take a moment and say here that in heaven there is a tabernacle or temple. This was nothing more than a, 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 a representation of the temple in the new Jerusalem in heaven where God will dwell forever. But it, this is it, divine services, uh, 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 services of God are going to happen in this tent, but it is a worldly sanctuary. And so look at verse two, for there was a tabernacle made the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Notice letter A, the holy place, the holy place. We see letter A, the holy place. And so uh, you had, uh, you had uh, two sections on the inside of this tent. You walked in the door, and the first was the holy place. Verse 2 here calls it the sanctuary, but the sanctuary and the holy place are the same place. And inside the holy place... Uh, there are mentioned two pieces of furniture. There were actually three, but two are mentioned in this passage. There was the candlestick and the table of showbread. The candlestick and the table of showbread. Um, if you can, Brother Joe, throw that picture up there for me. All right, let me turn here so I can see it with you. If you're in the back, you might have a tough time seeing it. That would have been the, the uh, tabernacle. By, by the way, you know, so there's only one entrance in, just like there's only one way to heaven. There wasn't multiple ways to get into the courtyard, okay? There was just one way in the gate. And when you walked in, the very first thing you saw was the brazen altar. We talked about this uh, back in 2000, early 2017, I believe. But that brazen altar had four horns on it where they would tie the sacrifice down. And the priests would wash their hands at that laver. And uh, they, would, uh, they would offer up those five major sacrifices there at the brazen altar, and uh, the courtyard is where everybody was welcome to come. You brought your sacrifice there, and there was a priest who had inspected on the outside of the gate. Once it passed inspection, it was offered there at the brazen altar. However, the the tent, the tabernacle tent, only the Levites got to go in there. Uh, 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 scoot over there, if you don't mind. Very good. And so here you have the sanctuary or the holy place. And if you look at the way that the furniture in there is set up, it was set up to form a cross. You have the golden candlesticks, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. The candlesticks and the table of showbread. Interestingly enough, the altar of incense is not mentioned in Hebrews chapter 9. Now, that left me asking, why? Why was that part omitted? I'm going to show you why I think in a minute, and it's really, really neat. So, you have the holy place. Let's look at letter B, the holy of holies. The holy of holies. And so, verse 2 describes the holy place. By the way, the candlestick uh, uh, was the light that was given off. There were seven 
candlesticks, one in the center and then six that would come out and it gave off an artificial light. There was a, a, a oil, uh, a, a very specific type of oil that was burnt there. And again, the passage here does not go into all the typologies that, that will have to be done another time. On the other side where the table of showbread was in the holy place, there were 12 loaves of bread and the priests would eat those throughout the week and they would be replaced weekly. Obviously, the, the bread Bread being a type of Christ and uh, the uh, the twelve loaves representing the twelve tribes of Israel, uh, so uh, that would happen there. Let her be the holy of holies. Look with me at verse number three. Let's read from three down through five, then we'll come back and and uh, and look at uh, each verse or each portion of of the passage. Uh, uh, Carefully, Verse 3, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. So another name for the holy of holies is the holiest of all. By the way, everything about this room screams Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4, which had the golden censer in the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold. Uh, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the table, uh, tables of the covenant. Uh, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. So the holy of holies. What a place. Now, why is it that the golden censer is mentioned in the holy of holies, but the altar of incense was not mentioned in the holy place. Here's, here's my, my thought on that. All right. Once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest would go get a long rod called a golden censer. He would head out into the courtyard where the brazen altar was and he would take hot coals in that and he would put it into this golden censer. He would walk in. This was the one day a year that the altar of incense was irrelevant. He would walk right past the altar of incense and he would walk into the holy place. That was a place only the high priest was allowed to go and he was only allowed to go in there once a year and then he he would take that, those, those hot coals and he would throw uh, perfume on there and the smoke would come up and make a sweet smell. It would make a sweet smell. And if you study that sweet smell uh, from that ritual uh, and you look at what that represents, it represents the prayers of the saints. In fact, something very similar is done in the book of Revelation where the prayers of the saints are offered up before the Lord. And it's a sweet smell in his nostrils. And so the reason why the altar of incense is not mentioned, but the golden censer is, is because Jesus Christ would complete the day of atonement for us. An emphasis was being put on that day of atonement. So we see the golden censer in verse 3. Then we see... Uh, or rather in verse 4. Then we see the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Look back at verse 4. Which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the gold golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant. Now again, the golden censer represents prayer. The Ark of the Covenant represents provision. It represents Provision. Well, what kind of provision? There are three different types of provision that were put inside of that ark where God was saying, I will provide for my people. I, uh, I'll take a moment and, uh, and talk to each of you on a personal note. Do you ever fret over whether or not God is going to provide for your needs? If you do, you're normal. 
You're normal. Now, you may have money in the bank and not have any financial provision worries, but how about health provision? And how about emotional provision? How about spiritual provision? There have been times where I've had thousands of dollars in the bank. That's been not the norm in my life, but there have been times where I've had thousands of dollars in the bank, but still felt poor. Still felt poor. Why? Because I was spiritually empty. Or I was mentally empty. Or I was emotionally empty. And I think of David, who is king, and he's called himself poor. He had rooms filled with gold coins, but he was poor. And we have a God who provides. In fact, the very name of God in Genesis 22 is Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. God will provide. It's his nature to provide. It's who he is. What were those items in the Ark of the Covenant? Well, there was physical provision represented in the golden pot of manna. Physical provision. You remember how they walked out and food had fallen from the sky every day. And they'd go pick it up. The word manna means, what is this? What is this? And uh, the scripture explains it had a sweet taste to it. And uh, they had to collect. They could only get enough. There's a lot here. They could only get enough for that one day. Unless it was the day prior to the Sabbath, and then it would last through the Sabbath. If they kept it beyond that, it would rot. And what's the lesson taught there is that God provides our daily bread. Our daily bread. And we're not promised that He's going to give us enough to last us six months or six years. Now, you may have been blessed, and God may have given you enough money to where you could not make another money, the rest, not make another dime the rest of your life, and be fine. But can I tell you that in a moment's notice, that, that money can be wiped out. All that has to happen is the stock market has to crash, or the dollar has to inflate uh, well beyond what it is, or uh, some, somebody rob uh, you, your accounts, or rob your investments, or take away your precious metals, or whatever. However you're invested, trust me, if there's a way to steal it, it can be stolen, and uh, that can be taken away. God provides our daily Bread And so the Ark of the Covenant, there were three items in there that were symbolic of God's provision. The first was the golden pot of manna, the physical provision. Next was, um, uh, let's see, next was spiritual provision in Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron's rod that budded. You go over to Numbers, we won't do it tonight, but you can turn over to Numbers 17 and find the story about Aaron's rod. Just a stick, just a rod that he walked around with a walking stick, and it budded. And there were blooms and there was fruit that came out on that rod. And uh, God was saying to, to the nation, I'm going to make you like this stick. You're going to be spiritually blessed. Aren't you glad to know that our God is able to renew our spirit and help us when we feel empty? Not only does God give us that daily physical bread, he gives us that daily spiritual bread. You ever felt empty on the inside, spiritually? Aren't you glad to know that you can collapse on your knees or your face and you can call out to God and He will renew and provide that spiritual strength that you need? It was symbolized in Aaron's rod. The next uh, item inside the Ark of the Covenant that was in the holy place uh, represented moral provision with the tables of the covenant. Moral provision. Um, there are laws that are just inscribed on our heart, but can I tell you, we still need them written out. Um, I know and you know that it is a sin to murder, right? I, I didn't need that to be written down in the Bible. There's just something in me that says, hey, you shouldn't kill somebody. Okay. In fact, um, when, I, when I see an animal get run over in a road, that bothers me a little bit. Okay. 
And I'm not an animal lover per se. I'm for hunting and I eat cow and chicken and all the rest of it. But I don't like seeing animals get hurt. I really don't like to see a human get hurt. I've known a couple of people who've been involved in some car accidents where someone died and and uh, they were the driver that was at fault and it was completely unintentional. They weren't on any substances, but boy, they were traumatized for years, years over that. I've known soldiers come home from war and really battle with the inwards of I had to shoot my way out of a situation and and there was carnage left, and, and, I, and I can justify why I did it, but there's still something that's eating me on the inside. And we, we, have these, we have these laws that are written by our Maker in our heart, but we still need them put down. We need, we, we, well, they needed them inscribed in stone. And that's what these Ten Commandments were. They were moral provision. It was an umbrella to say, if you will abide under this umbrella, you will be morally provided for, morally protected. Hey, don't put another God before you. Don't make to yourself a graven image. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. Don't steal. Don't kill. Uh, don't commit adultery. Uh, don't bear false witness. Don't covet. I think I got all ten of them. But 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 don't 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 break these ten laws. Don't do it. If you'll avoid these uh, uh, ten uh, mistakes, then you will be morally provided for. So we see that the the contents within the Holy of Holies, it was a place of prayer, the golden censer. It was a place of provision, the Ark of the Covenant. Notice next the cherubims of glory. The cherubims of glory, that provided protection. Look down with me at uh, uh, chapter 9 and uh, look at verse number 5. And over it, the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, I have to tell you, I'm fascinated by this, but I don't totally understand it. Fascinated by it. There were two cherubims. These were large-winged angels, representative of large-winged angels, and their wings were spread out, and they were all cut from one solid piece of gold. In fact, I went back to Exodus 25, and I read all about how they were commanded to make them. They came out of one solid sheet of pure gold, and their wingtips touched, and uh, they were centered right over the Ark of the Covenant, and they represented protection of that Ark. They also represented protection of the laws that would heal the people. And I am glad to say this evening that my salvation is protected by divine God above, and nobody can take it away. Nobody can take it away. You know, there is a holy of holies in heaven. In fact, Jesus went there after he died. We'll talk about this more in a few minutes. But he went there after he died. He took his own blood and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat. And in that mercy seat, I wonder if there aren't live cherubims with their wings spread out over that mercy seat. We'll have to wait till we get to heaven and see. So the cherubims of glory, they represent protection. Notice last, the mercy seat. The mercy seat, and that represents pardon. Now, the mercy seat would have been the lid that closed on the Ark of the Covenant, but what would happen was that 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 high priest 
once a year, he would take the blood of, of a firstborn lamb and he would put that in a, in a bowl and with the golden censer, he would walk into the holy place and he'd walk into the holy of holies and he would take his fingers and he would dip it in that blood and he would sprinkle it on the lid of the ark, which was the mercy seat. And God would forgive the heirs of the people and the heirs of that priest for one more year. It represented pardon. Now, it was symbolic of the pardon that would come through the person of Jesus. The structure of the tabernacle, it was the place where God dwelled. Every piece of furniture in it, every service that was in it, was a typology of the person of Jesus Christ. Here, what the author is trying to tell these Hebrew folks is quit worshiping the tabernacle, quit worshiping the temple. Those were typologies of Christ who's come worship Christ. Number two, the service within the tabernacle. The service within the tabernacle. We looked at the structure of the tabernacle. Let's take a moment and focus on the service that took place in the tabernacle. Look at verse 6. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle speaking of the holy place, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second, the holy of holies, or the holiest of all, went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, or he'd go in with blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that uh, the the way into the holy holiest of all, or the holy place, was not yet made manifest, which, uh, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, um, uh, which was uh, a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could n- uh, not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscious. Now, part of that gets a little bit wordy. We're going to work to break that down here. Notice letter A, the role of the common priest. The role of the common priest. Look back at verse number 6. So the priests themselves could enter into that first section of the tent. But they dare not touch foot in the second section of the tent. If anyone other than the high priest went into the Holy of Holies outside of the Day of Atonement, including the high priest, if he tried to go in there outside the Day of Atonement, they'd be zapped dead immediately. God didn't play games with that. You may remember the sons of Aaron that offered up strange fire. They were struck dead. God said, we're not playing games with this. These are symbolisms, or this is symbolic of my son. You're not going to play with those symbols. So the role of the common priest. Uh, look back at verse number 6. It says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. What kind of things did they do in there? Well, they had to make sure that the candlesticks constantly had the, the beaten out olive oil that were in there to keep those lit 24 hours a day. Uh, seven days a week. They had to make sure that the bread was where it was supposed to be and laid out the way it was supposed to be. They had to make sure the altar of incense that offered up the sweet smell uh, uh, was constantly uh, uh, running and working. And so the priest would go in there and take care of those things. Turn over to Numbers chapter 28 and verse number 3 with me. Numbers 28 verse number 3. It says, And thou shalt say unto them, This is the offering made by fire, while ye shall offer unto the Lord two lambs of the first year without spot, 
day by day for a continual burnt offering. And so you see that these priests, they had roles there at the brazen altar, and they would go in and out of the holy place and, uh, and take care of, uh, of those duties. Notice letter B, the redemption from the high priest. Go back to verse number 7 of Hebrews chapter 9. Notice there it says, But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Turn over with me to verse number 10. Look at verse number 10. I have to turn the page. Look down the page for most of you. Uh, it, or rather, verse number 9. It says, um, which was a, look at this, figure for the time, then present. I have that phrase underlined. Figure for the time, then present. It was a figure. It was a symbol, okay? And what was it a symbol of? In which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscious. So this, this act of going in to the Holy of Holies and sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat. I know we're, we're getting into the technical here, but this is Wednesday evening Bible study, so that's what we do, okay? So hang with me here. Um, the act of sprinkling the blood did not eternally change anyone's destination. You all with me here? The act of eternal redemption was being justified by faith. They had to believe in God that he was going to send the Messiah. Now, I don't remember the passage off the top of my head in the New Testament, but uh, I believe it's in Romans, talks about how they believed in God, and now we believe in Jesus. Why in the Old Testament do they believe in God to get saved, but we believe in Jesus to be saved? The reason is, is they believed in God to send the Messiah. But nonetheless, the faith was in a coming Messiah. Okay, thank you. Um, they, we looked at it a few weeks ago, but they would look, we don't look to God. We look to God's son because he's come and died and we know who he is. And that has been revealed through the person of Paul and, and, and the gospel given to us that mystery as Paul labels it has been made known. And so the redemption from the high priest, you say, well, what was the redemption? It was a yearly atoning for their sins. It was a wiping the slate clean for that year as far as their account, their personal account with God. God. How do you wipe the account clear with God? Can I tell you how? You get down on your knees and you confess your sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Hebrews 4, we looked at already, talks about how that he is a high priest sitting at the right hand of God, making uh, uh, atonement for us on a regular basis. So uh, the redemption from the high priest. Make no mistake about it, the reason why this priest could not atone, uh, make a perfect atonement for the people is because the high priest was a sinner himself. But when Jesus walked into the the, the mercy seat, and he sprinkled his own blood. He made eternal redemption for our souls to be completely clean for all of eternity. Letter C, notice the reformation needed. The reformation needed. Look down at verse number 8. Or rather, for now, look down at verse number 10. It says here, "...which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and or, or, uh, uh, carnal ordinances, imposed on them until..." The time of reformation until 
the time of Reformation. What Reformation is he talking about? Now, the priests would go in to this Holy of Holies, and all the way up until the veil was torn in half, this was an act that needed to be done, and sprinkle the blood, and sprinkle the blood, and sprinkle the blood, and that high priest would die. And another high priest would come along, and every year, sprinkle the blood, and sprinkle the blood, and sprinkle the blood. And, and that would buy the Israelites one more year of, of this this cleansing of the conscious, this, this clearing of the conscious, but it wasn't really doing anything for them eternally. And Jesus came along and said, that process is broken. And that process needs to stop. And that process needs to be ended in the person of me, Jesus Christ. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 14. In verse, 2 Corinthians 3.14 it says, But their minds, I'm going to begin reading here, But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even until this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. The veil shall be taken away. Go back to uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Look back at verse number 8. And we see a verse about the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, which as the first tabernacle was yet standing. You know, you know uh, the Holy Ghost's role in this is that the veil is no longer needed because the Holy Ghost breaks through that for us. It's taken care of. And again, verse 9 talks about how it was a figure. Uh, and that it could not do a perfect service, uh, and that it needed uh, in pertaining to the conscience. So we see here the Reformation needed. All right, so we've looked at the structure. We've looked at the service. Number three, let's look at the symbolism, the symbolism of the tabernacle. Look down with me at, um, at verse number 11. We see the pivot here. So he takes ten verses to explain, uh, just to give a cliff notes rundown from the Old Testament on the tabernacle. Later, these things would be replicated in the temple, which would be more of a permanent dwelling. And then he says, hey, all right, you all are familiar with this. You know the deal. You know the, the, the shtick because you're, you're Jews and you, you know the temple. And honestly, many of you worship the temple and you shouldn't. Verse 11, but Christ, being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into once in the holy place, and having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of, of bulls uh, and of goats and uh, the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean uh, sanctifieth the purifying of the flesh. Now, uh, let's look at letter A. There's so much here. There's so much here. Letter A, notice Christ is the prevailing priest. Christ is the prevailing priest. Look back at verse number 11. But Christ being, uh, being come in high priest. We looked at this back when we talked about Melchizedek, how that ownership of the title deed was transferred off of the Levitical priesthood and to Christ, the order of Melchizedek. He came in under the order of Melchizedek. No, the Levitical priesthood became disannulled. It became void. It became no longer needed. And that title deed was handed over to Christ. Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek and the other priest ceases to exist, ceases to matter. So Christ is the prevailing priest. He is the ultimate priest. He is the perfect priest. What makes Christ a better priest 
than the, the Aaronic priesthood. Every time I say Aaronic, I think of the word moronic. But I, I know there weren't morons, okay? And that's not kind to say. Uh, but the Aaronic, what makes Christ better than the Aaronic priesthood? They were broken, sinful people that died. Jesus was perfect and holy and eternal. Jesus is the prevailing priest. You know why we don't have a priest here at this church is because we have a priest in heaven. And he's doing the work. Christ is the prevailing priest. Let her be. Christ is a perfect tabernacle. So, again, the priest would go into the tabernacle. Who is the perfect priest? Jesus. Uh, what was the tabernacle a picture of? Jesus. <laughs> Look at verse number 11 again. But Christ being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Everything about the tabernacle screamed Jesus. And maybe one day we'll do a Wednesday evening lengthy Bible study on every element of the tabernacle and how all of it pointed to Christ, because it all pointed to Christ. It's quite, it's really quite fascinating, but Christ is the tabernacle. You all know what in, in the theatrical world, in the, um, uh, let's see, in the drama world, uh, maybe it's a musical drama or a, uh, a, a play, uh, or you have a movie. You all know what foreshadowing is? You all familiar with the term foreshadowing? Uh, you're, you're kind of giving, hinting at what's going to come. Okay, the, the Old Testament is foreshadowing the New Testament. Okay, it's a foreshadow. And they're, 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 they're trying to say all of this is going to be made up in the person of Jesus. And so he's the, t- the tabernacle. Do you remember? Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said, tear this temple down in three days and I will build it up again. You know, he was, this is the same idea here. And they said, it took, it took years and years and years to build this. How are you going to rebuild it in three days? And uh, we know that he did because he rose up from the dead. He's the perfect tabernacle. Letter C, lastly, notice, Christ has purifying blood. Now, I don't want to give too much away because much of the rest of the chapter talks about the blood of Christ. And uh, we're going to dive deeply into... The blood of Christ, now his blood is better than the, the blood of sacrifices uh, next week. But look at verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of, of, of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth the purifying the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, which through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience? from dead works to serve the living God. And so we see that he, he has a purifying blood. Now, um, I'm going to use a really poor example to make a broader point, okay? Um, I love box macaroni and cheese. I love it. I love it. Um, I have had homemade macaroni and cheese I have had homemade macaroni and cheese. I've had all kinds of people's homemade macaroni and cheese. Give me box mac and cheese all day long. I'm serious. You say, well, why? Because as a kid, my palate was touched with homemade mac and cheese. Some of you are going, what in the world does that have to do with Bible study? I'm going to get to a broader point here, I promise. Okay? I'm trying to get your attention back. Um, 
when when you put when you put homemade mac and cheese in front of me and you put box mac and cheese in front of me, I'm going to eat the box. I promise you, I'm going to eat the box mac and cheese and leave the real sitting there. I may eat that, but I'm going to eat the box first. Now, um, the Israelites preferred the blood of bulls and goats. And they wanted to neglect and turn their nose up at the blood of Jesus. Why? Because that was, that was what they were comfortable with from their childhood. You see how that's a problem? Now, in no way am I comparing the blood of Jesus Christ to homemade mac and cheese. I'm not. I'm, I'm not being irreverent. I'm serious. But I am making the broader point that they, they were in the habit of taking that lamb to the altar, to the, to the temple, and watching that get sacrificed. And there was something comforting to them about the ritual of doing that. And for someone to say to them, you, you can stop that now because Jesus shed his blood on the cross. And the blood of that lamb was just, was just a holdover, was just a, a get me by until Jesus would come and die on the cross. And he has. And you no longer need to lay your hands on the horns of that ox or the head of that animal and transfer guilt because God laid his hands on Jesus. God the Father laid his hands on Jesus on the cross and transferred all your sins onto him. And he shed his blood for you. And then Jesus, the sacrifice, rather Jesus the priest took the blood from Jesus the sacrifice and walked into the tabernacle of Jesus in heaven and sprinkled the blood of Jesus on the mercy seat that represented Jesus. And we're saved solely by the person of Jesus Christ. And all of it ties back to Christ. You say, well, is Jesus the tabernacle? Yes. Is Jesus the priest walking into the tabernacle? Yes. Is Jesus the blood that's sprinkled by the priest in the tabernacle? Yes, yes, yes. He's all of it. He's all of it. And his blood has a power that cannot even begin to be understood. The complexity of blood. And I don't want to get too deep into this because this is next week's Bible study. But the complexity of blood. Scientists are just now beginning to uncover how all of the complexities of blood. And our blood is tainted. And his blood is perfect. And his blood has a power that can wash away our sins. We'll look at that in greater depth next week. Let's stand together to be dismissed. Hope you better understand Hebrews chapter 9. You understand we have...